Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Scouser Podcast. It is Monday. We are back. The trio in effect. Uh, Bickler is back cause, from causing havoc in the California area. So you guys are all safe now. Okay to come out of your houses. He's back home. Actually, just squeaking in and making it to the podcast live is Bickler. Bickler, what's happening? We miss I'm here. I'm alive, and that's about all I can say about today. And that's all we can pretty much ask for in most cases. So, and Gally is with us as always. Gally, what's up, man? I don't know how I was supposed to follow that up, but uh, I'll try. <laughs> it's always a hard act uh, to follow uh, Bickler over here. So, since Bickler is back, let's go back to the favorite parts of Gally's mother-in-law, the trivia <sighs> section. <laughs> So this is, doesn't get mixed this over here. This week's trivia, actually, I found this trivia two weeks ago when I was doing that week's trivia. So it's going to be similar, but there's a little twist to it. So our next game up is against Leicester. So the question today is, and you guys should be able to get at least some of them this way, the top five goal scorers for Liverpool against Leicester. And the hint is... Two of them, two of the five, do have a chance to add to their tally. Out of that five. Okay? So, I mean, at least you guys should be able to get one or two. Everybody's happy. Uh, Ryan is with us. Uh, this gives you guys time to think as Bickler is scratching his head. Uh, Bickler, we're starting with you as always, buddy. Missed you. So... Yeah. Be you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Five games, five scorers for Liverpool against Leicester. And go. Uh, Bobby and Mo would be the two obvious ones for adding to the total. Um, I'll throw Steven Gerrard in there just because I like to do that. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, I'm going to rename this as trivia questions not answered, Gerard. <laughs> um, let me think. Uh, let's go. Uh, I guess I'll go like Fowler. And there's going to be, I'll just go some off the wall one. Um, I'll go. This is making great radio. I don't know. Dirt, like dirt counts, like my default. If I just dirt don't know. Yeah. Fowler, Mo, Bobby, and who did I miss? Oh, Steve. Stevie. Okay, Yali. What do you have? Can I just say the same five answers so we can move on? Because this segment is terrible. I mean, really. Input, who, whoever asked it? Who asked watching? Shoot. Who asked? Who asked a trivia question where that person has to come up with five answers? Like that's just. Well, ridiculous. I was hoping at least you know partial credit. Yeah, like I've literally died a thousand deaths. I have all three children locked in a room in this house to be quiet for this podcast segment. I'm literally dying from the inside out, and I get named just five people who scored the most for his lesson. I just envision a room where there's like Nyquil spilled all over the floor. You're just like. <laughs> there's a little TV and like. Soiled mattresses on the floor. It's fine. <laughs> Lots of kids live like this out in Arizona and Utah. I mean, huh. I, I am going to agree. It's also Bobby and Mo that have the chance to extend their leads. Um, other than that, I'm going to say it's Coutinho. Oh, good one. Gerard and. Fowler. Ben, it's good. It's gonna be like Ben Ayun. He's gonna be like number two. I mean, the whole point of making a question like this, as I was doing it, as was, you know what? They never get the shit right, but at least they'll get two or three right. It will boost their confidence a little bit. Yikes! Well, you guys got Bobby right, uh, so we can go with that. Uh, Bobby has six goals and fifteen appearances against Leicester. 
Uh, Ian Rush, which I thought that would be after Stevie, that should be when it goes, that should be another default answer. Um, Ellen says, Don't you just love it when the girlfriend calls in the middle of the trivia question? See, people are trying to get rid of family to access trivia over here. Ian Rush, 10 appearances, nine goals. Gordon Hodgson, nine goals in 16 appearances. John Toshak, who was actually the answer for a trivia a couple of weeks ago, has eight goals or in 12 appearances. The other one is not Mo, yet can add to the tally. I'll give you guys one more chance. Come on, Bickler, you got this. Robertson. Holy shit, this Robertson. <laughs> if being really wrong was like an award, you would have won it. Uh, you can beat it by saying Ali or something like that, probably. But Ali might have had more goals than Robertson. Hendo <laughs> probably does. Probably does. <laughs> is it? Is it Hendo? Ah, actually, that was the trick part, guys. It's own goals. Would you believe it? Six own goals by Leicester. Just two of them in the last game over there. See, Alan says has to be a human, but no. See, you guys like that? I can tell Bickler is happy as hell. Ah, it's so good to have Bickler back. More than having Bickler back, it's great to have Trivia back. So let's go to the game over here. Things that are better. So, Bickler, let's start with you. Starting 11 comes out. I don't know what your prediction was before the game, but I'm assuming you see this lineup and you would not say the game is going to end 1-0, I would think. Yeah, probably not. No, I would have gone something funky, 3-2, three, 3-1, three, something like that. Are you shocked in terms of like – first of all, did you like what we, I guess, let's <clears> say <throat> tried? Uh, I don't know if it was more lack of op options than anything else in terms of like how many midfielders we had healthy, but did you kind of like what you saw in terms of the lineup? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think – I don't know. I think we're all waiting for Diaz to start, right? So, I mean, I think that's kind of like if we're starting four attackers, you'd hope one of them is him, but I understand not starting him out as he kind of regains his fitness, and he's been he's been kicking around a lot of tread already just coming back. So I, I get him not being there. I think we've been asking for four attackers for like most of the year, right? Like we figured we were going to have to see this at some point. And I thought we – I think we all thought we would see this in some variance, uh, some variation of a – a four two three one, which I guess technically it was out of possession, but um, yeah, I didn't expect it to see it on essentially a four three three. The only thing I didn't like th about this is Gakpo in the midfield. In the new system where Trent's rolling inside, it relies on a player like Gakpo to hold the width on the right, and he's always best central. So let's see. Yeah, that's the one piece probably, I didn't love. It probably hurts him the most too. Like if you look at the game overall, but Galley, do you think it's more of a Kind of like what I said to compensate for the lack of midfielders we have, or is it kind of a way to fit, you know, Nunez in there somewhere? I mean, we talked about this in the past in terms of finding a way to make it work, or is it just an attempt at that? I I think it was more of an attempt at Klopp playing the best eleven players he could on Saturday afternoon against Brentford. I really believe that, like. I think this is how he thought he could match up against them the best and give himself a chance to win. I do think there's something to your point about Nunez that we have to figure this thing out. It's a little bit of a conundrum, and we keep trying to alter options to strengthen what he does, and I don't know that it actually is working. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, if you look at the scoreline, it's kind of easy to say, yeah, it didn't really work. But what don't you think worked, Bickler? I mean, you mentioned Gakpo kind of like taking him out of where he was and where he was. It almost like he was growing more and more into that role. And we kind of like took him away. They're like, how about this? And then like threw him somewhere else. Uh, aside from that, what did you see that didn't really work? I just feel like I just. I still feel like Nunez is kind of playing his own game. Like, I don't feel like he necessarily is playing the same game tactically as everybody else. Um, and I think part of that is, is like, you know, he's best off the left channel playing off another striker. And we've seen us play that way a couple times with this new formation where it essentially flexes into a 3-2-2-2. And I think that formation sort of suits him, but we didn't really see a whole lot of that on Saturday. And – 
I think the bottom line is, is like we bought him to be like a central striker and we don't know how to get him to play that position or, or at least not effectively. And then you've got the emergence of Gakbo, who looks like the second coming of Bobby, which I don't think we necessarily, I don't know that we knew he was going to bring that kind of hold up play. And I think that changes things. I think that changes things dramatically when you have a player that can do those things add to the midfield numbers, drop deep, have that kind of hold off play and play the the wide players in. I think that changes a lot. And, you know, I said that in the discord channel, like the one thing I worry about this summer is like, that's a big piece of the pie that we paid an awful lot of money for that. We need to figure it out because it's like one of these things is not like the other, like Nunez is like the one piece that's not like any of the other pieces up there and it's got to get sorted. And that's the thing, you know, when we talked about 4-2-3-1 before, we always talked about Carvalho and stuff like that. And, you know, we were trying to work him in at the time. I don't think anybody saw, I mean, obviously nobody saw the Gakpo signing initially. And then he has turned out to be, I don't know, like he shows the potential of being a Bobby that also has size and speed. You know, with his, he can hold the ball, he can drop back, he can do a lot of things that Bobby brought in. And he also has, you know, when he faces and he starts coming at you, he has more speed than Bobby. And he's definitely stronger than Bobby in terms of being able to almost hold it like a number nine at times, too, even though he doesn't have full size. But he definitely has the height. Um, Alan says Gakpo tracks back easily. Nunez does not. Nunez is better on the wing at this time. But I think the issue we run into over there, Gally, is Diaz is back. And initially, when you know when Gakpo kind of started growing into the role more and more, we were like, okay, we'll put Nunez on the left. But we see when Diaz is out there, what we have been missing, and this is only with him slowly coming back. Diaz coming back kind of has to put those plans on the shelf, right, in terms of playing Nunez on the left. Yeah, which is I think why we saw him start through the center in the last match. Like it just makes the most sense and. I, I don't think it's a surprise that the quotes come out today from like Klopp and, and Pep Linders and those guys, how like they just keep telling Nunez like over and over, like how happy they are with him. And they think he's doing such a good job because they thought he was a project, like a big, big project. I think Klopp wanted to play him even less than he did this year. Like, I really believe he wanted him to be one of those guys we were all angry and frustrated about not playing enough. But between injury to Diaz to uh, Jota, Bobby, it just forced Nunez actually to have to play a little bit earlier than I think Klopp ever wanted him to play. And then you add in the red cards his own injuries, and I think it's just been the kind of a lost year for him. I think they see him as a big-time project that has so much skill. And if you look at his numbers, I come back to, like, as much as we criticize or we get frustrated about where he is and how he doesn't fit in, statistically, his numbers are off the chart. Like, like uh, expected goals created. Shots on goal per 90 minutes played. Like, all these numbers are top, top of the Premier League because he's doing really good things when he plays. It actually doesn't fit what we do as a side yet, but I, I, I kind of think that's going to come, and I think, the, I think the club and the management knows that. Yeah, I mean, James says, worried about Nunez, just can't see him starting many games, and next season might be his final chance. I mean, we kind of, like, due to the investment alone, we're going to be able to, we're going to have to work on this and somehow make it work. And, I mean, they, I'm sure, I mean, Gally, like you're saying, they kind of knew this was a project, and they knew what they were getting, and he was not going to be fitting in. I mean, most players don't. I think Jota with this pressing kind of automatically won in. Obviously, Diaz just walked in. I was amazed how fast Gakbo kind of was able to fill in, but it was kind of like lack of options too, though. I don't know if he would have thrown Gakbo out there that early uh, if it was the case. So, Bickler, in terms of like, you know, going back to Nunez, and we've talked about this before. Is it a matter of those stats? Is that because he's kind of playing his own game and trying to create a shot for himself and taking a shot? Because the eye test says, because we're kind of used to watching this team and how we play, that he does not fit and he's not doing the right things in terms of pressing and tracking back and things like that. 
No, and I, I, I think it's kind of just front-loaded statistically. I mean, I think we're suffering some recency bias here where we haven't seen him in a while, and we've seen other players come in between Gakpo and Diaz coming back that have kind of caught our eye. But, like, I think we're forgetting that, like, for a while, like, Nunes was kind of carrying this side, which is kind of wild. Uh, and he was in, in involved in all the chaos that was good things for a while before there was any sort of shape or recognizable structure that we were gaining back. So I think it's a little bit the case of, like, Nunes is in a situation where this squad just got healthy around him. And, like, the alternatives were are, are fixtures in this side. So, of course, he's going to see less time. I agree with I agree with Galley. I think he's got a lot of potential. I actually think he tracks back. I I, I love his work rate personally. I mean, if you look back, he's usually back there winning headers in the defensive half a lot of times. So I think he does a really good job coming back. Uh, personally, I just think he's he's a little bit like a wild horse out there. He's just like galloping around. Um, and sometimes I think uh, I think that his the way that he runs sometimes has an impact on the players around him who aren't used to necessarily having somebody around them that doesn't hold shape uh, as disciplined as he, uh, you know, as undisciplined as he is at, at times in terms, in, in terms of that. I mean, we talked before about is like the chaos he creates and how he plays and his like energy. Like, I mean, heck, we don't know what the heck he's going to do. So the opponent definitely doesn't know what he's going to do. Does that somehow, at times hurt us though or maybe like when we have a lot of possession galley that's when we don't get as much out of him because it's a bit more structured than organized and he's not able to create that chaos yeah i i would definitely agree with that i think if there's if there is ever a time where we see his weakness it's when we are in like heavy possession because i think in a lot of ways he gets confused on where he's supposed to be you know, Paul made the comment like he tracks back so well, he defensively is back there. I feel like he wins more headers in the defensive third than he does headers in the final third. And if he could if he could actually start to actually attack set pieces the way he does defensive clearances, I feel like we'd have a better chance at goals. Um, because that's the one thing to me is like Kazi said once, I've never seen a guy go up and look like he wants to win a ball less. And I think he's spot on there. Because I think every time the guy jumps for a header, it looks like he wants to finish second. Like, he almost, like, jumps with, like, a little bit of defensiveness behind him. But these things are the stuff that I think the club knows they can coach out of them. And I think we've already seen, like, the movement and the chaos he creates the mistakes he makes in defenders, how they, how they track, how they run at him, the way he makes uh, defenders run off him. I think it's, we, we can kind of see the, the, the talent we have in front of us. It's just, it's going to take a little bit before I think it all comes together. I mean, it seemed like, especially earlier, like, you know, midway through the season that they were going to work well with Mo too. And I thought, you know, this is probably the best we've seen Mo in a long time, I thought he was just like electric. Anytime he got the ball, anytime he was on the ball, off the ball, his movements. I mean, I thought he was like back to his regular best self there. Uh, so what do you say about Jota in there? Or let me ask you this way, Vic. But I mean, the Leicester game is next Monday. So we have a full week to go. So everybody is going to be, I mean, barring an injury and knock or something like that during practice, everybody's going to be eligible. Who is your ideal front three right now? Uh, Diaz, Gakpo, Mo. Okay. And then are you, who are you bringing off the bench? Let's say you got to bring, Diaz can only give you 60 minutes on the left wing. Do you bring, like, who are you bringing in? Are you bringing Nunez in there? Are you bringing Jota in there? I'm probably bringing in Jota. Yeah. Why? I mean, I think Jota is one of those players that just, uh, he reads the game so well. I feel like he just... I think he scores goals just on positioning sometimes. And I think uh, a lot of times late in games, you need that. I think he, I think he brings a press that uh, 
I guess so does Nunez. I, I just think that Jota and a match off the bench right now is a, is a better fit. I don't like – I personally don't like Nunez off the bench, which is another problem because that's where he's going to get minutes right now. Um, I just think he has – I don't think he has enough experience, and I think he's too young coming off the bench to, to be able to read games sometimes. I think it's very hard for him to come in and catch the flow sometimes. like I feel like when he starts, he kind of beds into a game a little cleaner than when he's coming off the bench. And I think Jota is experienced on all levels. He's an experienced international that can come in, score goals, off positioning, wins headers, is in the right spots, creates chances. Um, I just think – he does all those things that Nunez can do, but is a lot more stable in terms of just his experience um, in, in sort of uh, how he's performing right now. Yeah, we were talking about this this morning, actually, with uh, the Polish Prince uh, in terms of like how Gakpo, coming from the system that he's coming, is like his IQ for the game and the background and the training is going to be a much higher level uh compared to you know like a south american player uh just because of the training they go through and the schooling they go through basically like student of the game as they say over here so it was a lot easier i think for him to adjust the new schemes and stuff and i think it's gonna definitely gonna take longer time for nunez to figure out the thing that glares to me the most is when we press i think he doesn't you know you can clearly tell when i mean yeah sometimes you know like a player just takes off and keeps pressure on the goalie but when we're trying to press as a team you can kind of tell he's the one not in the right spot or a second late or you know not has not figured out the system yet galley uh same question to you in terms of like the front three who is your front three and who are you bringing off the bench I think the front three is the same as Paul said. I think it's Gakpo, Nunez, and Mo. If they're, I mean, I'm sorry, Gakpo, Diaz, and Mo. If they're all healthy, um, it's probably Jota. But I, I, I think what we saw in the last match was a kind of Klopp tipping his cap. That right now he feels his best option is playing four attackers because I think going at going at um, in the last match the way that we did, the fact that we went against the Brentford side and we went with four up top kind of lets you know that that's what he believes might be the best side that he has. Like, it might be better to attack. If Hando is healthy, you think he starts the same lineup? I, honestly, I'm not sure Henderson has any say right now into his starting eleven. Because the way I look at Henderson is, is he gives us 15 to 20 minutes, whether he starts or he comes on as a sub. Right now he gives you about 15 to 30 minutes, and then it's that's about all you get out of him. So I, I, I feel like right now Klopp looked at that side this weekend and gave us that four attackers because he felt that he had to even playing against a side that wanted to set up sitting behind the ball the whole game. I think it's wild that we don't even see <clears> – I think that this formation, like four attackers, is only possible because Jones is playing the best football of his career right now. Correct. It's, just, it's wild. Do you agree, though? Because I feel like this was more out of force because you don't have a, really any other midfielders. Um I think if Hendo could give you 60 minutes, I think Hendo would be starting and then maybe we would switch to this afterwards. I think like, you know, Hendo being, he was a doubt. We didn't even know if he was going to be able to come off the bench or play at all. I really felt like when I saw the lineup, I'm like, well, Hendo is probably only going to give in. I think when did he come in like 30 or something like that, I think, right? Uh, so what do you think? I mean, if Hendo is available, you think, I mean, do you agree with Galli that he thinks like the, like, I mean, Galli says Klopp probably sees this as the future, or this is more out of. I, I'm saying the immediate future. The immediate right now, this is what he needs to do. That's why I saw it as what he did. What do you think, Bigler? Yeah, I think a couple of things. I think I don't know. Somebody must have had some sort of come to Jesus talk with Jurgen at some point because, like, we've seen tactical changes, we've seen formation changes, we've seen like. We've seen players that just generally don't get rotated, rotated. And so, I mean, I think there's been I, – I, I think a good deal of that comes down to the fact that, like, I feel like Jurgen Klopp is putting out lineups for next year, not lineups to win this season. 
And the fact that we're winning, he's kind of like, all right, well, this is working. So we're going to keep doing this and I'm going to keep, you know, uh, I'm going to keep some juice in the tank for, for Hendo. If I need to pull him out of the bag, I'm going to uh, start him where I need to. I think a lot of this just has to do with that. He is, he is playing a lineup to see what he has for next season. And he doesn't necessarily know it yet. Other than the fact that he knows that Jones and Gakbo are his two best players right now. And those dudes need to be in the lineup, even if it means there's four attackers. That's fair. I mean, you think that's part of the, why he's changing, you know, or testing out things, Gally, a, not much to lose at a certain point. I mean, it'll be interesting now because now we're almost like we're back in the hunt. Do we go back to our old ways, play it safe? Or is it really to see kind of like start the off season already, if you will? I mean, it should be all about next season right now. Like they should be trying to figure out what opportunities they have for betterment next season while still winning now. And that's, kind of the best of both worlds which is what we're doing at the moment you have to put out your best side try to kind of mix and match things for next season we're finding out right now which players we have which is why jones has started every single match in the last six weeks and i think he'll start the last three match weeks of the season it's a it's it's really a role of what is his role next season in this side and what players do we have to buy or what players maybe do we not need to purchase in this in the summer transfer window based on kind of how the side shapes out the last two, three weeks of the season? So that's what I want to get to. So I'm kind of glad that Alan put this in there because this one of the names right here, of course, Elliot becomes obsolete. That happens if hand to play. So here's the question. Uh, I think this raises, I mean, to me, in my head, two questions in terms of future of Elliot and Carvalho, uh, where they would end up. And then going back to what you're saying, Gally, in terms of if this is how we're going to keep playing, then what looks like an abundance of depth up top is no longer just because now you need somebody to back up wing. If you're going to play four attackers, you will need more depth there. So, and we know Elliott and Carvalho cannot be those guys on the wing. I mean, we've seen the experiment with both over there. Bickler, let's start with you. I mean, based on what we're seeing now, I mean, we talked about Nunez before and we said, hey, you know, like an off season, once he figures things out and obviously the investment spent in him, we will make it work one way or the other, or we will continue to find ways to make it work. Carvalho and Elliott, how do you think they fit moving forward? Well, they don't. And the problem is, is that even before the tactical and the formation shift, I didn't think they fit. So, I mean, I don't think we're talking about anything different. Like in our standard 4-3-3 system, to me, both Carvalho and Harvey are creative attack-minded midfielders who play best in some sort of a free roam 10, both of them. And like we've just never had a system that played that. It's not something Jurgen really fancies. Neither of them have the pace or physicality uh, to play up top. Um, and I think both of them just fundamentally get kind of lost in the midfield when they're forced to be two-way players. And, I mean, that's nothing against either of those players. I think they're both special. I think they have both generational-type ceilings. I just think that both of them – and that's that's that was such the weird thing with Carvalho. I think my hope was that we were going to see this uh, – this four two three one in which we would start utilizing that a little bit more, right? Um, but that just never happened, and so they were never fits. And I don't think this this formation shift changes that. You think though, when we play this, the fact that Gakpo gets that position there over him pretty much says, I mean, he has a long way to go before he can get in good graces. I mean, we all know what Klopp says, but. Look, I just I have serious doubts about like I I think there's a difference between playing a free room ten and playing a nine, even if it's a false nine. I think that false nine position requires you to have some strength. And even though Bobby's not the biggest dude, he's a strong dude. And he was out there and he can bang and he can hold it up in that midfield and he can take a physical beating if he needs to. Um, and I just don't know that you can say the same about. Uh, maybe maybe Harvey. I mean, maybe the, maybe Harvey can, but I just don't know that he has some. I don't know that either of those players have those things that you're looking for 
and a hold up false nine striker versus a free room 10. And, and so like for me, I don't think it changes it. Even if you're looking at the nine, um, I'd love to be wrong. I, I really wanted good things for Carvalho and Harvey because they're both seem like really good kids and, and obviously have a ton of talent. I just think that you're looking at two players that are just uh, honestly from the outside in are a little bit weird in terms of, of purchases. I think, you know, Carvalho, yeah, I mean, we talked about in the preseason, right? Like we wanted to see basically where Gakpo was playing this week, for example, to play that role and see what he can do. But yeah, his, even for a little guy, his like center of gravity, his strength, hold up play, he just, he just collapses. He's just not strong enough. But what do you think, Gaudi? I mean, for me, I feel like Harvey, because of his versatility, he can still be a good squad player and find a role here and there for himself. Whereas I just don't see a spot for Carvalho. Yeah, I'm with you there. I I I see a I see a squad role for Harvey, but I question does Harvey want a squad role? Because he That's doesn't come across to me as a 23 year old kid who wants to play six and a half minutes every other match. Like he doesn't look like that player to me. He looks like a kid who'd rather be at West Ham playing 90 minutes a week and, and running things. Like it just, so I, I don't know that it'll work for him. And I think the weird part is, is I think we saw Harvey play big minutes at the early part of the season to the point where he was almost the first name on the team sheet. But at one point this season, Klopp thought in a 4-3-3, his 4-3-3, Harvey was like a first name on the team sheet. But I think as the season's gone on, he's actually seen how tactically with this group of players, he has to set up in a different way. And I just think with what we're seeing in Trent right now with the inverted, you know, uh, right back type position where we play three three in possession in the back. I just don't think there's any spot for Harvey Elliott in this side. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if the right offer came in for Harvey Elliott and they didn't actually think about a sale because I just don't think it works for him. Carvalho, we won't get anything for. Harvey Elliott, I think people would actually come in with like a reasonable price. And that might be something they have to consider because I don't think it works in this setup. And I think it's the setup we're going with moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I agree because I think, you know, you loan out Carvalho and he does well at a different club in the Premier League. You kind of increase his value. I don't think you do that with Harvey as much. If anything, you might decrease his value. And there's no point in like just punting it away for another season if he's never going to fit into that system uh, before we kind of like move on from the Brantford game uh defensively Bickler what did you think overall I mean with the lineup that we saw that's why I was kind of like asking you that you kind of felt we would create a lot and we would give up a lot of situations and it was going to be like who's more clinical uh gets the win so when I saw that lineup yeah it was more like a 4-2 or something like that is what I was envisioning uh, I know it's a clean sheet, but definitely not a comfortable clean sheet. What do you make of this back four right now? Um, I mean, I think individually across the board, they all had some bright moments. They all had some terrible moments across the board. But I thought the reason that we got the clean sheet is because I feel like the midfield did a really good job of coming back in numbers and, and sort of like, uh, defending uh, isolated areas and packs and just causing turnovers. Um, so I, I think uh, obviously we still look vulnerable on the counter, but I, I thought the team as a whole did a good enough, did a really good job just essentially team defending. And then obviously on uh, defensive set pieces, which we struggled with all year, they were fairly good. So yeah, I mean, I thought that was a total team win in terms of that clean sheet because I felt like from the from the front to the back, I thought the team did a good job of just getting back and, and holding shape and, and bailing out uh, bailing out us on it when Brentford did have transitions. But I mean, it was just a weird game to watch. Like I saw that stat where like the ball was in play for like right around forty minutes for the entire match, like forty minutes of actual play, which is like insane when you think about it. And like Brentford is, they are the team that has the ball out of play the most 
per 90 minutes of any team in the league. So this is what they do. I mean, I think we're used to seeing Ivan Tony bang him in and, and it looked like beautiful football, but like, this is what they do. They slow games down, they chop it up, they make it ugly. Um, and then they try to hit you in spots on the counter. So, I mean, I think we did a fairly good job um, considering that they were able to establish that sort of rhythm throughout the match. And by rhythm, I mean, like just basically disrupting any rhythm whatsoever. Yeah. And that's the only thing. I mean, I think we did, like I say, like relatively better than I thought we would uh, just seeing the lineup because I did not expect the midfield to be that good defensively and they did do a good work. Uh, but Sparky says we were very lucky. And at the same time, Brian Shelton wrote the same thing. We were very lucky. Uh, you think we were lucky uh, to get away with that 1-0 and squeak that win? Uh, or is it just us being a Liverpool fan expecting the worst, even though they did not create? I know Ali had one huge save. But aside from that, this was a Brantford team that can create goals. And we, for the most part, held them in check. Yeah, I mean, I thought Ali once again... I think two or three times throughout the match, Ali once again just stepped up and was big, especially that huge save he had. I mean, uh, I think it was midway through the first half. It was just outstanding. But to Paul's point, I thought we did all right. I thought we just kind of stemmed the tide and saw it through. Obviously, we got the goal in the first half, and it was it felt easy after we got the one nothing lead, but I thought all in all, we were in good control of this match. Yeah, like I say, I mean, 1-0, clean sheets, another three points, continue the streak, overall looks good, and suddenly puts us back in the conversation. And it's the hope that kills you, people. So let's talk about this over here. I know on Friday's show... Uh, we had the ultimate optimist on with me. Uh, they were putting it as 64% because Kazi does complicated math like that. Uh, in terms of our top four chances, I was at 25. I'll have to admit after this weekend, I find myself raising that to 30, if not 35. Bickler, what do you put us at in terms of where you think we will end up? What are the chances that we will make Champions League? Give me a percentage. Your microphone is off, so give me a percentage with the microphone on. Do you you guys want this on? Okay, um, we should put a vote on that. Probably people want to <laughs> stay on mute. Um, I do yeah, so I was with you. But I was probably even lower than you, if I'm honest. Um, I I I'd say yeah, I'm probably over fifty percent right now. And like, it, it kind of feels weird to say that, just because I've been on the boat of like, can we just not talk about this and move on to next season? But the fact of the matter is, is, if you look at the actual fixtures, Brighton with two games in hand has a really, really tough run out. They're going to have to play City. They're going to have to play Newcastle. They're going to have to play Villa, who's been playing people tough. I mean, they've got a pretty decent little run out. Uh, and then you've got uh, United, who has got all sorts of issues right now. So they're kind of the opposite of us, where they played obviously out of their socks earlier this year. And then now they're starting to get some injuries and get tired uh, and at a time when we're getting healthy and getting a little juice back. So um, between United's form and Brighton's run out uh, and the fact that we essentially have about as easy of a schedule as you could ask for to run this thing out. Um, I know there are no easy games in the Premier League. I mean, we're the team that goes and beats – United 7-0 and then turns around and loses to the bottom of the table, right? That's us. So, I mean, I will say that the the statistics and the percentages that say that we won't be there are because we've been so inconsistent and such shite this year, not because of what anyone else around us is doing. So you put us right now above 50? Yeah, I put it like at 55% probably. Damn, dude, I did not see this coming at all. My guess this morning in terms of your answer was about five. Uh, Gally, what are you putting us at? I'd probably say maybe a little under 50, but I, I'm with Paul. I, I actually think that there I, – I come back to this. If you guarantee me that we win out, that we get to 70 – if we get to 71 points, I genuinely believe we're going to make Champions League. I'm not positive we're going to get to 71 points. 
See, that's but where I, I'm I, stuck. Yes. But I'm I'm coming back to like that's why I would probably be somewhere around like forty-five, maybe somewhere between forty and forty-five percent. But if we really because, wanted to make Champions League, I should have made some sort of a bet that involved singing on this a while ago. <laughs> Fair. Miss, missed opportunities galore. I mean, here's the thing. Brian was saying, like, form is everything. Obviously, when you look at this, you know, you say, man, City and Liverpool are on a roll. But watching the games, seeing the scores, can you confidently say that our form will let us win out rest of the way, Bickler? Like Gally said, no. I think that's no. what I'm stuck at. I just don't know. That's why I said the percentages when I'm at 55%, that 45% on us. It doesn't have anything to do with Brighton or United. <laughs> I swear to that's that's the truth, though, right? I'm with Gally. Like, if we win out, I think this thing's in the bag. But it's just the fact that at, we could go out and lay an egg in any single fixture, literally anyone. I'd just like to point out that one of those green check marks on that screen was that goddamn win against Spurs. And that alone, <laughs> that alone should be a green check mark with a big circle and a freaking and like the Ghostbuster sign running through it. Like that was a win they should take away from you just for freaking being up three nothing in five minutes and almost losing. I mean on paper and this is where we always suck, right? Like you were saying, Bickler. I mean, on paper is where we suck. <laughs> like the games that we should win on paper is the ones that we lose out on. I mean, you it'd be very on brand for us to lose against an already relegated Southampton <laughs> or Leicester. Or yeah. honestly, I am more worried about the Leicester game. Okay, so that was my question, Gally, because you mentioned you know being afraid of like us not being able to do our end of the deal. Out of the three games, which one do you see as, like, the most dangerous? Honestly, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I probably would have said Villa, but they look like they've kind of fallen off the boil and they're going to kind of finish right about where they belong, somewhere between, like, ninth and seventh in the table. But um, I I think it's it's probably the Leicester match, as awkward as that is. And I think it's purely because they can score goals and they hit you on the counter. And that's what we don't do well is we give up goals on like weak breaks and counters. So I think Lester sets up perfect to play us. And How about you, Victor? That forty-five percent. Uh, it's still, it's still Villa for me by a wide margin, just because you know Emery knows how to play us. He absolutely destroys us in midfield when we play him. Like he's got a midfield system that has basically figured us out. Um, and the only thing that I think that saves us from that is maybe this formational tweet that we have going on. Maybe that helps that situation. Um, I think Lester is just so bad defensively that it doesn't matter. Like I just, that's, that's my hope. I, I just think that they're so poor defensively uh, and they have been all year. Um, but yeah, I, like, look, that's the thing. If we get the 71 in any of these three have the potential to be, an absolute like cataclysmic result for us. I mean, that's just kind of been the way this team's been for me. It's still Villa by, by a mile, but I see what you're saying. Uh, Lester does counter for sure. For United, which game are you hoping? I mean, we really need fat Frank to sort his act out, right? For the most part, because we do need, I mean, they play Newcastle as well. We do need him to kind of like gain some kind of a form and uh, steal some points from somebody uh, which game are you counting on United to kind of like lose even more ground? Yeah, like, sorry. I, I, I think there's a chance they could lose points in all four matches. Um, Fulham showed today in their match against uh, Leicester that they're not on the beach and they don't care. They're still trying to score goals. Marco Silva likes to put up numbers. So I think they'll be playing even down to the last day. Bournemouth has been kind of a plucky side, especially at home this second half of the season. I think they'll go at it. And Lopetegui has really pulled out some really good results uh, for Wolves since becoming manager. So, like, I could totally see Wolves showing up and putting in a really good performance against United 
uh, this coming weekend at Old Trafford just because of how poor United's playing. Um, Chelsea is the enigma in all of this. Like, Chelsea has the ability to be the biggest of the – because they play both Newcastle and uh, United. Yes. So they have opportunities to really, really make a statement here. And and we all know that Chelsea has the talent, even with Fat Frank at the at the switches. Like Chelsea can score some goals, win a match. Will they? I don't know. Um I just something makes me feel like both of them are gonna leave this open for Liverpool in this situation. Like I think Newcastle also has a tough run in. Like we look at United's matches. I think Newcastle has a tough run in. They got Brighton. They 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 still have big matches to play. Like I you know, I could see Leeds this week and Big Sam showing up to Newcastle and like locking down even defensively and just making it a nil-nil draw late. Like I think Newcastle has never been here before. And until they prove to me that those players know how to win matches that can qualify for Champions League, I'll believe it when they're actually qualified for Champions League. That's fair. I mean, in terms of, like, we kind of see, even like we saw with Arsenal, right? I mean, you know, when they when they're not used to being under that pressure, in a, you know, in weeks at a time, months at a time, that's when it shows. It's not just like one game. I think one game you can kind of get your team motivated, but that's why this marathon of like the long run of a season is like a totally different ball game. So Brian says Leicester City is fighting for their lives. Does that affect? Because today when I watch that team, they looked very fragile. Because sometimes you compare, for example, Everton. Uh, and I don't know if that's because of, I mean, as much as I hate Sean Douche, uh, I don't know if it's because of him, but you look at Everton, who is desperate for points, and you look at Leicester City desperate points, you kind of see more of a fight, even if the quality is not there, you see more of a fight from Everton, whereas Leicester City, to me, just looks so fragile and just waiting for something to go wrong, Bickler. And that's what the game looked like today. They were like, oh, here we go again. This is why we suck kind of a thing. And it just game got out of control really fast. You think it's kind of like an advantage in a way to play against a team like that where you get an early goal and you can kind of put them away a lot faster and easier? Because they do look weak in the maybe, back. Uh, maybe. I mean, I think you're talking two things. I think usually teams in a relegation battle, though, if they go down one, they're just scrapping to get a point and try to draw late in this game, try to keep it close. I think the thing with Leicester, I don't see that. I don't see that fight in Leicester. And I think the financial situation has been so doom and gloom at that club and been so uh, such a black cloud that I think this is a club that's resigned to going down a league. Uh, and I think that that sort of the way they've done business has reflected that. And I think that that has trickled down into the players. I really do. I really think this is a side that has known for a long time that a drop to the championship wouldn't be the worst thing for them, uh, with their situation. And I really think that that's uh, just kind of reflected across the board. So to wrap up that conversation there, Gally and uh, Alan wants to note as well, uh, who are you sending back down from the Premier League this season, this season with three games to go? I mean, I think at this point it would be kind of, it'd be almost reckless to say it's any of the three teams that aren't in the bottom right now. I still think that there's a chance that Leicester could pull out a result in their final three matches. Comparatively, I don't think Leeds will get any more points. Maybe a point. Tops, maybe two. Um, I don't see Leeds with a win in their matches. Leicester possibly pulls one out. And other than that, I think they survive and maybe Forrest goes down. I, I, I feel like Everton finds a way to stay up. I think today's win was the big one for Everton. I think they get another point between Bournemouth um, on the final day of the season if they need it. I think they find a way to stay up. So I think it's you down to Leicester. Are you just flopping Forrest and Leicester right now? 
Yeah, I think it's down to Lester and Forrest right now for the last person going down. And I probably way right now, it's probably Lester, which is crazy because they have so much talent on that side. It's insane to me that they go down. I think, yeah, even though they have the talent, I, I go back to what Bickler is saying. I think, you know, you look at the talents and the body language, it just does not look good. Whereas Forrest is a team, I think that's still fighting even though they have less talent i think on the pitch compared to lesser i personally think this is especially after the game today before this i had everton in there and i thought lesser city would make it but today's score against brighton where i didn't think they were going to get anything i feel like this is who is going to be going down lester leads in southampton uh bickler what do you have yeah i think if i was going to do anything i might flip lester and everton uh, I mean, today's obviously a big win, but I, I think that's where I'm my, here's my thing with Forrest, man. They just keep scoring. Like, you know what I mean? Like they, they just keep, they just keep scoring. Uh, who cares that they have 18 right backs? Um, like it's, uh, they just continue to find a way, uh, to get enough goals to squeeze some points out of this thing. Uh, I agree with Galley and the fact that if anyone's going to put a win together out of this bottom three, it's going to be Lester. Um, so it's really just down to whether what we saw today being any sort of form uh, of any nugget of truth behind what we saw today with Everton, um, because that was just straight up weird. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's just this, this Premier League in a nutshell. Right. I mean, you just can't. I mean, nobody saw that score coming, especially. I mean, now forget on paper and stuff, form, quality, you name it in any freaking yeah. category. And Brighton, it wasn't even like it was Villa. Or Fulham, you know, like they had something to play for. Like Brighton had something big to play for, especially after like United lost points and everything. And they just did not just take advantage. And I, I mean, that was odd, by the way. Do you think that's part of the deal, Galley, that they had something to play for that put extra pressure? Or did they figure we're going to roll over Everton anyway? And it's kind of like that overconfidence that did him in today. I, I honestly think that they're just running out of gas. I mean, they played like they almost still are looking like they're reeling from the extra time that they had to play in the FA Cup semifinal, the extra 30 minutes, and then losing that match on penalties. And they haven't really looked great since. Um, I know they had the huge 6 nothing win with their subs, but that was with their reserves. Like it wasn't even their first team that went out and drubbed uh, the side that did there. So I, 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 I think today is just an anomaly with Brighton. I really do. I think that's what happens when smaller sides are forced to try to play as many big matches in a row like they have been asked to play. And I just think today is a match that caught up to them. And I know Kazi got on them in our Discord channel, kind of writing them off like they weren't playing great football like better than everton won that's that's what is yeah yeah it's basically what it was (laughs) but ultimately what it comes down to is it was just it's just a side in the league that has their one-off day and i think this is the difference like this is what makes city so special and this is what makes a couple of those liverpool seasons we've watched in the last few years so so great is that it's so hard to show up 35 out of 38 weeks in this league and it's what it takes nowadays to compete in it and we're just seeing it more and more like we're seeing the brightons the spurs the villas like there's just an anomaly scoreline that shows up and it ends your entire campaign if you're really searching for high honors yeah, I mean, it takes a certain mindset, and that's why it, sometimes you have teams that – I mean, hey, it happened to us, right? It came up short the first season and then reloaded and came back better next season. Uh, I just want to kind of, like, bring this up because James talks about uh, lesser players are too good to go down, but I say their attitude is the worst of the teams in the league, kind of like what we are talking about. So two names over here. Tielemann is over, so overrated, and Madison is a playboy Grealish wannabe. They say they get relegated. Tielemans, Madison, up for grabs. Are you taking one, either, or both of them over here? Bickler, let's start with you real quick. Tielemans. Uh, it just uh, No, because I don't want to dig into any 
I don't want to dig into any of our funds for that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> is this like a yard sale? Can I get a deal here? Yeah, I like, think, I mean, here's the thing: when they get relegated, usually the, there's a different clause, and like the pricing kind of like varies. And I feel like because of what we've seen, their markets—maybe not Madison, but definitely Tilana's price—has dipped a lot. I'll so say this about Tilman's like coming on one after another in the chat over here, but. Yeah, and I'll say this about Tillemans. He's he's probably in the worst form of his entire career. Uh, he's still young. He We've seen prime Tillemans and what that looks like, and it's nice. Um, he is a true box-to-box, box, which is hard to come by. So tactically, he works. Um, but, yeah, it'd have to be pretty cheap considering I don't think he's a player that can step in as a locked-in starter and put this club at the next level. What's pretty cheap? How much you got in your pocket for Tilema? I'd take him – honestly, I'd take him for 20. Ah, that's actually what I was going to offer. I'll take him for 20 as well. I would take him for 20 for being that fifth guy, fourth guy in midfield. Galley, out of those two names, which one are you going for? Or oh, I, the, the only one I would sign is Tillemans because I think he fits what we do and I don't think Madison does. Tillemans is on a free, so we don't have to pay anything for him because you can have him for nothing. And Stop that lets me know that lets me know we're not getting them because we could have had them for like five in January and they didn't even offer anything because they want but, but finally a player we can get and run his contract down and feel good about. There yeah, exactly. Because we know we know he's we know he's <laughs> open to leaving on a free, so he's a good signing for us. Um, but no, I I I honestly I neither one even matters because I don't think they're anywhere near the radar like. I think if Klopp wanted Tillemans, he would have got him once out of the last four windows he was available. He didn't want the player. We wanted him because it sounded good and he looked a good player. And we saw the screamer in the FA Cup final. But the truth is, he fell out of the Leicester side in a relegation scrap because he kind of was a dog. And everybody knew it at the club. And I don't think that's a guy Jurgen Klopp wants in his side, especially not one fighting to start. See, I don't know, though. Like, maybe Klopp is like, he's good, but not 50 good. You know what I mean? And I think I'll take I'll, – I'll talk to Jurgen tonight. Or it's too late over there. I'll call him in the morning our time. Uh, and, you know, good call. tell him. Because I think he's only 26 years old. Um, I would take him – why the hell not? Uh, Madison, I think we're all in agreement, just does not fit. And I just don't see him having the, the work rates uh, that we require out of that midfield. Uh, I just think someone would have already gone after Tillman. So inconsistent, not just between games, but between halves. And I agree to that. But he has been really down. And I feel like that team as a whole has brought a lot of performances down because there's a lot of stuff kind of like what Victor was talking about behind the scenes that I think affects everybody in that club. So you sure. take somebody out of there and bring him in like your, well, not your, but uh, like New England Patriots uh, did for the longest time, right? You just take a guy who looks like, man, he's just nothing but trouble, but you put him in a positive environment. And sometimes he turns out if he doesn't, especially in this case, if you're not investing a whole lot, why the hell not? Just bring him on. So, before we go, Leicester City, prediction time. By the time, we actually, we're going to be doing it on game day next Monday, pretty much right after the game. Bickler, give me a score prediction for the Leicester game. Kiss of death. I'll go 4-0. We win. Holy shit, that is the kiss of death. Um, Galley. 3-1. The good guy? Yeah. <laughs> 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 He's just, I just give a score, whoever lines up with it. <laughs> Paul says 4-0. Nobody questions anything. I say 3-1. There's a goddamn question of who got the fucking first score. He I'm going to go out on a limb so here. Samuchin's just glad I picked a number. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say 3-1. I'll like go good, guys. Yeah, I like the 3-1, actually. Alan does, so does Shelton. Even Sparky is predicting a 2-1 win instead of the standard issue 2-2. Hando game winner. Yeah, control button must not be working. <laughs> <on>. <laughs> control V. No. But, 
But let's get the win. Keep going with the streak. So next week, this time, you never know. We could be pretty much in top four or something. Anything can happen. Ryan is going with 3-1-2. You know what? I'll tell Jurgen that tomorrow morning, too. 3-1 is what we want. Make it happen. Line up the prediction accordingly. Well, everybody, thanks a lot. Uh, Lester scored after 30. I don't know what's uh, Alan is really going off the rails over there. So let's Alan's girlfriend's <laughs> called again. <laughs> Alan's girlfriend is calling or typing because there's like 39 sex and stuff like that in there. So uh, we'll let Alan go. We'll let everybody go. We'll see you guys <laughs> this time next week after the Lester game. Have a great week, everybody. Uh. Don't forget to do the share and the liking and all that kind of stuff. Uh, see you guys next week. Take care.